So background story. I'm literally right now one hour away from ending a 72 hour fast. And I'm only saying that right now because by the time you guys watch this, I'm going to be completed. And, uh, and I think it's a beautiful part of the story. So we came out uh, with my friend Mario. We came out into like a middle of nowhere in Virginia and we came to a mountain in a little airstream and we've been staying there for the last three days just drinking water. And on one of these days, we went on a trail because we heard there was a, a stream. And so we went on a stream and we ran into your wife, Carrie, and she was kind enough, so kind, to invite us to their place, which is much better than where we were staying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for us, it was part of the experience. Mario was actually the one that was like, man, we... We have to go there because like I, I we need to pray for them you know i was like okay let's let's do it if god told you that we need to be there we're gonna go there how i felt i was like i'm not trying to go <laughs> it's weird i'm just gonna pull up to some random like i wasn't even I, it was more like i didn't want to be awkward you know and then when we got here uh we met the whole family i met barrett and uh he started telling me about the beautiful things that they're doing in haiti so they're basically running a, a ministry. They have a ministry called uh, Sports Disciple. Yep. Sports Disciple in Haiti, which is basically discipling, uh, say, thousands. Can we say thousands, thousands of kids? Yeah, thousands of kids. Thousands of kids through sports. And so they're feeding them. They're teaching them the word of God. They're um, setting up a sports team, different coaches to, to help them. And they're helping the community. And he's telling me all of this, and I'm just like... What? Because what are the odds that we were both find ourselves in a mountain? There's no coincidences. No coincidence at all, right? Like God will put us, all of us in a mountain in the middle of nowhere. It's pretty rare that you're here too because you're yeah, usually- Yeah, it's our uh, high school son graduated from high school this week. It was my wife's 25th and our 25th anniversary. Um, it was my 50th birthday. Um, so there's quite a few things going on at the same time. And um, we had to get our passports renewed, so um, we just found a place and rented Airbnb right outside of Lynchburg where they go to school. Mm. And because um, we're down in Haiti and we have three kids back here in college, so um, we just happened to run into each other here. You met my wife and met the whole family. <laughs> met the whole family. <laughs> met the whole family. <laughs> no, this is crazy, man. I'm I'm super excited um, to to talk to you more about the ministry. And before we get to the ministry though, I would love for you to just introduce yourself, give a little bit of background information of the mission that God has you on absolutely, right now. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the first thing I'll say is, um, you know, God has a sense of humor. If he's gonna send a defensive lineman down to Haiti to be a soccer coach. Yeah. Um, I didn't know much about soccer. You know, we played it when we were in elementary school. My friends played it when they were in high school and college. But soccer is the, uh, the the main sport in the world. It's the beautiful game. It's yeah. what everybody plays. It's the number one sport. And imagine everybody in the United States loves sports, no matter what sport they have, but not the ability to play it organized. So what we did is we um, opened up a sports ministry down in Haiti and we do youth soccer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we run, we have thousands of kids um, between our school classes and um, our soccer league. Um, the soccer league has has had, had up to fifteen hundred kids in it one time. Wow. Um, we're at a new location, so we're going to run probably about eight hundred kids at the new location. But it's a really simple program. 
And, you know, sometimes the best solutions and both best answers are simple. They're just kind of hard to implement. Right. You know, um, so it's really simple. The kids come to the sports program. They're on league. They're in league. It's league play. Everything's very structured for them. Um, one of the best things that can define Haiti is chaos. Mm. Um, you know, just a lot of different um, people doing whatever they want to do because there's no parents. Well, the parents are there, but they might be split up, especially after the earthquake. Yeah. Um, big earthquake kind of displaced a lot of people. But with the soccer program, what they do is the kids come, and it would be a couple a couple hundred kids at a time, their age division. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing they do is they meet with their coaches, and they do a 15 to 20-minute um, Bible study. Wow. And it's really specific. It's interactive, so we engage the kids. So we'll have a, the message, and then we ask them what they think about it. How can they implement, implement that in their lives? Mm-hmm. And the messages we give um, resonate because it's kind of like it, it's what they live, their own life experiences. Yeah. Then since we have the interaction time, um, the coach, the kids really get to co- know the coaches because we also ask them, are you getting enough food? Um, new, malnutrition is a really bad thing in Haiti. Yeah. Um, most kids don't get enough to eat. Um, there's multiple players on our teams um, that only eat when they come to soccer. They'll skip days. Wow. Um, we try to catch those kids by these mass meetings with the coaches and try to get food to the families, but it's just a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we ask if they're all feeling well. How's the parents doing? How's school doing? If they're going to school, but most of our kids don't go to school. Yeah, straight relationship. Straight relationship. So wow. they have that time. And, you know, Paul says to coach, be all things to all people. Yep. So you can be able to uh, um, proclaim Jesus and, and teach the te- your testimony and your message. So our coaches can be all kinds of stuff. They wear a different hat every almost every several times of practice. Mm-hmm. They can be the coach. They can be the mentor. They can be a teammate. They can be a friend. Um, they can be a father figure. Yeah. Um, they take them to the doctors. They, they help them with their homework. They do all kinds of stuff. They're really a part of their lives. So we have this special moment before the practice starts where they go do the Bible study and all that stuff. And then we feed them all because that's just a huge part. We have um, we partner with Feed My Starving Children, okay. and it's a protein-dense, high-calorie-dense, um, vitamin-dense um, mm-hmm. meal for them. It's, um, it's, it's, it's done wonders for them. And then after they eat, they get their cleats, they get the balls for the games. Then they run about a 15, 20 minutes worth of skills and drills. Mm-hmm. And then they play league play. When it's all said and done on Fridays, they go back out in the community because the program's free for the kids. Right. But on Friday, we teach them how to give back. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we teach them the word of Jesus. Then our coaches model how the love of Jesus. And then we let the kids actually be the feet hands and feet of Jesus. So they go back out in the community and the kids adopt the home of elderly people and people that can't take care of themselves and need extra help. And those kids um, meet those families, meet the elderly people. They adopt them, you know, adopt them and they bring them a week worth of food every week. Um, They fetch them water from the well. They clean up around their house. They do chores for them. Um, They pray. They sing for the people. They build relationships with the people in the community. Wow. Because a lot of those relationships have been broken because of all the political unrest and people being displaced from the earthquake and stuff like that. So this is bringing community back together. And it's, we can also tie it down to, I mean, if we're talking spiritual, even like the, the generational curses that have been placed also in those families. Cause I mean, when we, when we talk about Haiti or when I think about Haiti, I've never visited Haiti, but I know missionaries who have gone to Haiti and spiritually that place is, is it's tough. I mean, not even just spiritually, but economically and every way that is a, like a, tough tough area so yeah it's hard it's hard for an american to grasp um if you're born on a dirt floor and you have to walk a couple miles just to drink out of a mud puddle Mm -hmm. um and you don't know what your next meal is going to be um your thought process is going to be different you're really just going day to day you don't really have a plan 
if you can't look past the next day, you don't have any hope. Right. Hope and joy are very powerful things. Say you're a mom and you're back in the States, you have a whole bunch of options for your kids. Right. But say you're a parent down there and you don't have anything for your kid to do. All you do is see them go outside every day and throw rocks and then come back and you don't know where the kids are. There's nothing you can provide for them. Mm. But then all of a sudden your six-year-old daughter's coming back into sitting there at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. She's got all of her soccer uniform on her gear on and her practice isn't even till three o'clock because she's so excited to go. Mm-hmm. And then when she gets home after her soccer match and her soccer practice, she's, she's talking about the friends she's made. She's talked about the story that she heard about Jesus. She's, she's not hungry. She's, she's getting healthier um, spiritually and physically. And that not only brings that little girl a lot of joy, that little boy that comes home, but then the whole family has joy because they know they have something that their kid enjoys and loves. And yeah. as a parent, that's something you just don't you know, get is to be able to provide joy for your kids in places like that sometimes. And it's just a powerful thing. Let's, let's take it back because, you know, when we see you now, we see a man, a great man of God who is, who is being used by the Lord and who is bringing a bunch of beautiful opportunities to, to a land who has lacked in opportunities for decades, right? But how did Jesus come to meet you? How did that happen? How did that transformation come about? What is your story? You know, I think I think once I start talking about this, I don't know if I'm going to stop. <laughs> come on. Um, because he's been a part of it every day of my life, and sometimes I just didn't know it. Mm. Um, I do have to step back for just a second because I always forget how many things we actually do with the ministry. Come on. Let's... Because the sports ministry is the sports ministry, and the staple is a soccer program. But then a few years ago... Um, we recognized that our coaches during the summertime, during the school year, yeah. um, only coached in the afternoon all day Saturday. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, how best can we utilize these men of God, these mentors, these Christian leaders? So we went to all the local schools um, and we talked to the directors and we said we would pay for and place physical education teachers in all their schools. Wow. So our coaches work in all the local schools and they do a PE class. But the PE class is exactly like the soccer program. They do the Bible study first, they do the, and then they do the different things. So not only are they mentoring all the kids that are in the program, they're mentoring them all day. So the, wow. the kids that are in the program, the kids that aren't, can't go to the program. So we have literally thousands of kids that we work with every day. Um, and it's discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. Because you know, if you're working with a kid that's four years old, all the way through 20, that's, that's, a, that's a generational shift. Because you're talking about the generational curse, that whole community is going to be a part of the all the kids are going to be through the program. So it's going to have an impact. Yeah, we, and, we see the impact already. And even now you you have spoken about how even those kids as they grow up, they now have something to connect to as they're older. They could say, oh yeah, we played together back in the day. Yeah, it, it brings the communities together. There's villages that wouldn't talk to each other. Now their kids are on the same teams and and it just it's an amazing thing how it all works together. So when you mix Christ and sports together, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, you know, we also have a huge powerlifting program. We have a gym and we have 300 young men and women that work out there. It's the same thing as it's like I said, there's a lot of simple solutions. It's just hard to implement. Yeah. So they come and they do the 15, 20 minute interactive Bible study. They work out, they do that, you know, (laughs) so they do all the stuff at the gym together on teams. And then we have medical and and some other stuff we take care of. And, and, but yeah, it's, it's been amazing blessing how God has provided and keeps pushing us Mm -hmm. forward to open up new avenues for it. But it's, we're hoping Right now, we're in the middle of building some sport courts, so we're going to have basketball too. So, so you're like, sky's the limit. Yeah, you're going all around. Okay, so talk to me. So so how, how did it happen? How, how did Jesus touch you? Where, did you grow up in church? or No, I, I, I didn't. Before I start saying this, I want to say something that's really important in my heart. Yeah. I love my family. 
I love my uh, my dad, my stepmom, my grandfather, my stepfather, my mom, everybody else, and uh, they're amazing people. Um, but we were probably more on my mom's side, what I call creasters, Christmas and Easter, you know. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and um, and and it doesn't mean that they didn't have morals and they have a good heart, but they just weren't full out Jesus followers, yeah. Christ followers. And um, my dad, you know, he's admitted atheist. Um, nowadays, he's getting older. Maybe he's like agnostic. Yeah. You know, maybe it's because I've been doing this and he's been seeing so many miracles. He's kind of starting to think that way. Um, um, but as a kid, I, we didn't really talk about church. We didn't talk about any of those things. We did. We only went once in a while when it was kind of expected. And, you know, uh, fortunate for me that I uh, excelled in football, you know, ended up playing college football, getting a scholarship and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. because I was able to play football, I got my education. Mm-hmm. And then when I got out of school, I got a good job. And I, you know, I really don't like talking about my financial background, but the reality is, is we were well off. Mm-hmm. There was a point um, where we had a big home um, on several acres. We had a cabin on a wow. lake, um, thirty early thirty early thirties, um, boats, jet, uh, snowmobiles, new cars every year, the whole nine yards. You know, living the American dream. Yeah. First, I got a job with a place called Lifetime Fitness. It's one of the largest fitness companies in the country or right. in the world. They build these massive gyms, and if you're from Maryland, well, we know um, you know where Lifetime Fitness is. Yep. Um, so I managed multiple lifetime fitnesses around the country, and then I left Lifetime Fitness to open a mortgage company and moved to Duluth for a quiet life and did really well. And what had happened was the economy started falling apart back in 2007. The, the, bank, the real estate banking industry started falling apart. And um, we had gone to sell our house. Well, we sold our cabin with the hopes of building, adding on to a new house, yeah. our bigger house. And... Well, as economies, we decided we'd better sell that one, too, because everything was falling apart financially. So I already have three kids, because we have four now, but we, have, we had three kids at the time. And we had moved out into the country. And I, I don't know how to explain it, but when you can't provide for your family because you don't have any income, because that's how bad it was getting, mm. and there was no job opportunities or nothing going on, and I was too proud to ask for any help, things kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then we lost the house. I didn't have any income at all, and we didn't go to church. My wife would go to church with the kids once in a while, or she taught Sunday school and things like that sometimes, but I didn't go. Mm-hmm. You know, like church and religion wasn't for me. And we used to drive out to the cabin when we had the cabin, and we'd drive out there every day or every weekend, and there was this tent on the side of the road about halfway to the cabin, and it looked like a revival tent. And what, what it what really was is they were actually having church in the tent during summertime, because they were building a church. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, we'd see it every time we went up there, but we never stopped. And then the new house that I rented actually was out by that tent. One day, I was over by a little convenience store out in the middle of nowhere by this tent, and I saw a sign that said, free barbecue if you come this Sunday. And it said, Sign me up. <laughs> it said, free barbecue, and it said, come as you are. And I said, well, I mean, I'm sitting here at 300 pounds. If I see a sign for free barbecue, I could probably sit there through a gospel story. Come on. You know, or two. <laughs> and, um, and the fact is, is we were looking, you know, didn't have any money, so I yeah. could feed the whole family and, mm-hmm. and saw it as a kind of a win-win situation. And so we went over there. I went in shorts and a polo shirt, kind of like what I'm wearing right now. And um, I don't know what your experience in church is when you were growing up, but um, I'd gone to a couple different churches. I went to a Catholic school for a little while and a Lutheran church. And not that they were wrong or bad. They were great places, but... I wasn't the only one. I was very kind of, I kind of paid attention when I was a kid. I could see all the old men looking at their watches, like, when is it going to be over so I can go home and watch a football game? Yeah. There wasn't like, 
a lot of life, a lot of excitement in the church. Um, it seemed like more of a ritual. People were just going. And not all churches are like that, but that's how the ones I experienced were. Yeah. But this was full of life. When I walked in, everybody was shaking your hand. Everybody's happy to see you. Everybody there was excited to be at church. It was my first time I ever experienced something like that. Mm. And then we sat down, and I remember because there were these old, uh, they were not old, but they were weathered. They were made of two-by-sixes, these benches, wooden benches. Mm -hmm. And then they started playing music, and it was powerful worship music. They were playing normal, you know, worship music that I hadn't experienced before. And everybody was up, and they were singing, and it was was a wonderful, amazing thing. And I really enjoyed it. So we started going every Sunday. And while my whole life was falling apart financially, we lost the house and everything else, the only thing good in my life was this church. So we go in through the summer. We're going every Sunday. My kids get involved with stuff. We get involved. And then... These missionaries that are in-country missionaries, these retired carpenters and everything, show up in these RVs and they park by the tent and live out of them and help us build the church. So I helped do some of the stuff with the church. I helped, you know, we, we painted, we did all the different stuff like that, help with them. Um, and as we saw this church, it grew and was built during the early part of fall. And then we moved all the two, all the old benches, all the old pews that we made, from, they had made into the church. And they were it was getting cold, so they had these big heaters, gas heaters on the floor because the church wasn't finished. And we started having service in there. Meanwhile, back home, things were bad. You know, not with our family, not with my wife or kids. We had never had any problems, and we had a lot of love for one another. But financially, and I didn't want to tell anybody, we were broke, 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 and I didn't know what to do. And I'd always been successful and, and provided for my family. I didn't have any problems. But like I said, the church was the best thing going. Well, I used to hunt when I was younger. When I was a kid, I used to hunt in Minnesota. We used to go deer hunting. And the very last Sunday of hunting season, I had a big ladder stand in a tree. And I took it all down. And when I did, I um, herniated a disc in my lower back. It hurt my back really bad. And so I pull the, um, still get the ladder out of the woods, get it back to my truck, and I take it back home. And I pull up to the house, and my wife is there, and she's on the upper deck looking down on me. And she yells down to me, and she says, um, not yelling at me, but because she has to yell because she, she's up higher. She says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have anything. We don't have any money. We don't have any job. You don't have, there's no money. We're, we're broke, maxed out. And I said, I don't know. And she says, you need to call Lifetime Fitness. Remember, I told you that I'd used to work for them eight right. years ago. Right. Right? And I said, um, I'm not calling Lifetime Fitness. Because if I call Lifetime Fitness and they give me a job, we can't afford to move back 170 miles away hmm. to where the closest Lifetime Fitness is. I would have to leave you and the kids, and I'm not going to do that. And she says, well, we have to do something. So I called Lifetime Fitness, and I didn't want to. And they actually called me back the next day, and they said, we have a job for you to manage this club, and can you be there next week? I didn't want to take the job. My family was so important to me, is so important to me, I didn't want to be separated. So I was in turmoil, and it was the week of Thanksgiving, and the following Monday after Thanksgiving, I would have, Sunday night, I would have to leave and go down there for, to start working, and carrying the kids would stay up in Duluth. Well, not only do I get, and my, um, my back hurt, but I get sick. I get the flu. Mm. So I don't eat at Thanksgiving. I'm sad. I'm basically crying when nobody's watching because I, I love my kids and wife and don't want to be separated from them. Friday night, Saturday, I can't eat, can't sleep. I'm sick. I got a 103-degree temperature. 
how my back's hurting. And here I'm supposed to go to a fitness place and start working that I don't want to go and I'm, I'm a mess. Hadn't worked out for a long time, anything like that. And Saturday night rolls around. My wife was the only part of the income we had. She had a part-time job at Assisted Living Center. She worked from 11 o'clock till 7 o'clock in the morning. And she says, you have to take the kids to church tomorrow. And I said, I'm not taking the kids to church tomorrow. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and we're going to have some pancakes and I'm just going to hug and love them because I'm not going to see them for like two months. Right. And she said, you have to go to church because everybody at the church will wonder what happened. Like you left, you left us or something. You have to go in because they haven't seen you in three weeks. So um, I'm going to get emotional because I haven't shared the story in a while. And I, I got up. I was sick. Got the kids ready. They're all little at this time. Put them in the car. We drive to church. The whole time I'm driving to church, they're all crying, saying, Daddy, don't go. Daddy, don't go. Daddy, don't leave us. Daddy, don't go. Mm-hmm. We get to church. I sit in the back. I'm sweating because I'm sick. My back is killing me. And the kids are on top of me. And for a second, I say, you know what? I'm going to get up and leave. I can't be here. And then they start playing the music. And I knew I couldn't get up and leave. And right then, I put my head in my hands. And I, and I just started to pray and, and cry like a baby. Mm-hmm. And my kids are on top of me. What's wrong, Daddy? What's wrong? And I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, everything in my life was falling apart. And I actually prayed. You know, there's a book called I'm Not a Fan. And they talk about being a fan or being a, a member kind of thing. Yeah. And I was a fan. I was a fan of how church made me feel. But when everybody stood up and prayed and they prayed, I prayed, but I didn't really pray. Right. You know? And I think there's a lot of us like that. They like how it makes us feel, but they don't actually have, they're not actually going after the Holy Spirit. They're not going after Christ the way they should. Right. And um, I actually prayed this time for the first time in my life, like deep down prayed, Lord, I need, I need you. I want you in my life. I, I, you, you know, I'll do anything for you. I want to, I need you in my heart. I need you to be, my, I need to be a part of you, you know? And as I'm saying that prayer and I'm crying and my kids are on me, I realize I'm not on that old wooden pew. It's not there anymore. I'm sitting on a chair. And then I raise my head, and right in front of me on the back of the chair that's in front of me is that's what it says. Lifetime. Um, When I was gone hunting, they had taken out all the wooden pews and replaced the chairs with brand new chairs. And I had asked God for a sign to let me know that I was doing something right for my family and it was going on the right path. And I lift my head up, and it's right in front of my eyes. And I look up and down. It's all along the front of me. Lifetime, 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 lifetime. And then all of a sudden, my back stopped hurting. I didn't have any pain. My, I stopped sweating. My, my temperature left me. My flu left me. I was completely healthy. My kids all, I showed them the sign. They all started smiling the ear in the ear and stopped crying. And we got up, and we started singing with everybody else. And then when I got up out of the church, I called my wife, and she started crying, laughing, you know, smiling. She was crying with joy. And then I just given my life to Christ. Um, he completely healed me from my illness and my injury. Um, I left and went to Lifetime Fitness. They gave me a club to run, but it was the worst club in the, um, out of like 100 clubs. They hadn't hit their financial goals for years. Well, we were the number one, number two club in the country the first month I was there. Then we were the number one club the next month. And then they gave me an opportunity to move my whole family together. They paid for it and moved us to Fairfax, Virginia. And this is where the story really gets going. Because 
I took over a club in Fairfax. My family's back together. I'm originally from Maryland. We were living in Minnesota at the time. And then after being there for a year, um, I turned that club around and God blessed us with financial. So instantly went from not having any money to being blessed financially again, went to having our family back together again. And then that was, it's like, this is the rocket ship to get us to where we are now. And then we go back to Minnesota, um, we rented a small little place for a couple months so we could establish and then we could buy a house and never move again. I didn't want to move anymore. And then um, my wife's aunt says, uh, my church opened a new campus right near where you guys live and we'd really like, think you'd like it. So we go there and we loved it. It was an awesome church. It's called River Valley in Minnesota. And they go on a lot of mission trips. I didn't really know what missionaries did at the time, but I knew they went on a lot of mission trips because every week it seemed like they had a screen. They're going to go to Africa or they're going to go to Russia or they're going to go to Iowa or someplace. Well, this in particular, about a month or two after we became members and we just joined the church, a, a screen came up and it said, they're going to Haiti. And I didn't want to go. But my wife instantly knew she was supposed to go. She's sitting next to me and she's saying, we're supposed to go to Haiti. We're supposed to go to Haiti. And I said, I'm not going to Haiti. And she says, no, we're supposed to go to Haiti. I know it. And I said, I'm not going to pray about it because I'm not going to Haiti. It's not going to happen. You know, and there's, there's a couple different reasons for that. You know, um, I know about Haiti. I know its history. I saw it on the news. You know, I'm old enough to be able to see it from the 80s on the news. They've had a lot of problems. And then they just had the earthquake. At that point, they had a half a million orphans they were talking about. Wow. And I just knew that if I went down there for a week, one, how are you supposed to fix anything in a week? But number two is I'm a big sap. I mean, I was really concerned that I already had four kids. I might come back with another 10. You know, I just didn't know what would happen. Um, I told my wife and everybody else it just wasn't safe. But uh, that's the reality is because I was concerned about, you know, how do you turn a channel after you've seen it? Mm. And then so um, we didn't sign up for the trip. And about a month before the uh, mission trip, a pastor calls, my pastor calls me at work. And it's a large church. Um, there's probably, at that time, 7,500. Now there's probably 15, 20,000. I can't, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, he calls me up at work and he says, um, I've been praying all morning, Barrett. And, um, you know, we're going on this mission trip to Haiti and two people just dropped out. And I've already talked to them about this and I've already been praying about it. And you keep, you and your wife keep coming back in my heart that you're the ones that are supposed to go. And listen, we've only been at that church for a couple months. We hadn't even been there that long. <laughs> And he, um, he said that the two people that dropped out, one was a, um, a youth director and his wife, and they had a scholarship for the youth director. And he'd already said he'd transfer you the money. The tra so you would just have to pay for one person. And he said, so what do you think, the pastor? Well, I lied to the pastor. And I said, well, let me talk to Carrie. I want to see what she thinks, knowing what Carrie thinks, because Carrie already wants to go. Right. <laughs> right? She, um, so I made a couple phone calls, and I had a friend pour some amazing message into me about his experience on a mission trip, um, which is a whole other story, but it's just another uh, part of how God works. The one person I call is the one, the perfect person to call. Yeah. So I called the pastor back, and I, I said, we'll go, and then we signed up for it. Um, our church says, well, send out these letters because people, there's goers and there's senders, and people want to send to you as well as go. Yeah. So we sent some letters out. I sent a, a written form of my testimony with the letter asking for donations for the mission trip. And I had two friends that called me the day the letters hit. One was a, um, 
I played football in high school and one I played football in college, both knowing that I could afford to pay for the trip myself, and they both offered to pay for the whole thing. Wow. And one was a Christian, and the one that wasn't a Christian was the blessing because he knew how important it was for us and the family. And so you affect. I never knew that when I was a missionary that I was going to affect people back in the States. It never crossed my mind. I thought it was just for the people we were working with down there. But then when your friends and your family and other people see you walking the walk, more people have reached out to me on the side than I could ever imagine. It said, you know, we picked up the Bible, we opened it up, we started going to church oh. um, because they saw it, my actions. And it's just a blessing how you have that ripple effect when you don't even expect it or you don't even understand. Yeah. And then so we went on the mission trip. We, it's really hard to explain because I did, like I said, I didn't want to go. And it was right after the earthquake. So Haiti was in a really bad state. Um, we first get to the property. Um, Samaritan's Purse was basing its operations out of the same place we were. And they had armed guards. They had uh, razor wire around the whole property. It was 60 acres. Um, it was a dangerous place. It's still, it's actually more dangerous now than it was then. But then um, it was pretty dangerous too. And they said, nobody can leave the property. They gave us these rules and they gave us security updates every day. No one's allowed to leave the property by themselves and nobody can leave at night. Hmm. So during the daytime, we did all the things you would think you would do after earthquake and on a humanitarian mission. We helped build homes. We felt fed starving people, starving kids and stuff like that. And it was extremely heartbreaking. My wife worked in a burn clinic. I just did a lot of construction stuff. And on the last day of the second to the last day, we were on the mission trip. They came to us and they said, okay, everybody's going to get a day off today. You guys worked hard all week. We're going to take you way up into the mountains and we're going to take you to a beautiful waterfall and you could swim in it and everything. And I had never been to the Caribbean before, but I had thought about like the Jamaica commercials, you know, with the waterfalls and stuff. And they said it was like that. And I thought, well, this is going to be beautiful because where we were was just rocks and dirt and garbage. Yeah. It's like a desert area. So we head up in the mountains and... We're driving, we're driving, we're driving. You have to drive real slow because it's almost like goat pass sometimes. They're not real roads sometimes. And as we're getting closer to the waterfall, Glenn, the missionary, explains to me that actually where we're going is a place called uh, Soto or Soto de O or something like that. I, I, could, I could spell it for you, show you later. Um, but it's also the voodoo capital of the world mm -hmm. or voodoo capital Haiti. Um, and I'm like, well, why are we going there? You know? Why would you go to the the voodoo capital place? And he says, well, don't worry about it. The only a couple times a year they had these big festivals, 100,000 people or more converge on this little tiny town and, and, and do satanic things, demonic things, and, and, and all those things. And so we start getting closer and closer. And when I wave to people now, they'd stop waving back. Mm. Um, That's not a good <laughs> Yeah, getting into the voodoo country. Yeah. You know? and, and so we get up to the edge of the road, and we, and we have to take a left to go up the hill into the village. And it was almost like there was a vacuum, like you, like the air left, right? And the place is deserted. There's nobody there. So you're driving through this village. You don't see anybody. And the very first person I see is a man. He leans back in his chair, and he looks at us and the rest of the missionaries, and he goes like that. I like to think I can handle myself, but I'm with a missionary group. And so it's not the nice first thing you want to see when you're going into a place you're so far away from everybody. Right. You know? And... We get closer and closer to the waterfall, and we're driving slowly through town, slowly through town, and we're creeping up the hill in this truck. And as we get right to the top of the waterfall, we have to crest the hill. Glenn has to hit the brakes. Because in front of us is a little boy, and he's nude or naked, and he's painted up in voodoo markings, and these men are doing a voodoo ritual on him. Jeez. And all my senses were assaulted. I'm in shock. I'm enraged. Spiritual a battle going through my heart. 
You know, do you go and get grab the kid? Do you what do you you know what do you do? Yeah, I've been feeding kids, starving kids all week long, and helping people. But on top of the physical things that they had to suffer through, they were going through this. They were putting these kids and torturing them through the spiritual abuse and physical abuse too. And I'm like, how do you beat that? How do you def- how do you defeat that? And I was in shock. And um, the the guys got the kid and got him out of there. And then so we ended up going. I don't know why we still went down the waterfall. And as we're down there, like 20 men and some boys, they, but it was mostly teenagers and men, um, separate us all, like trying to get between us and get money from us and stuff like that. You know, nobody did anything physical, but they just got in between everybody. They're trying to, mm-hmm. and then we waited our way back up to the truck. And then as we're back up at the truck and we're loading up and we're trying to get out of there, thinking we're going to, I'm thinking we're going to fight our way out of there. That little boy's there. He's back. He's got a blanket wrapped around him and he's sitting on the ground and he's staring at me and he's got these dark eyes. And he's just staring at me, and he won't lose eye contact. Every time I look back, he's staring right in my eyes. And we got up in the truck, and I left him. And we drove down the hill, and as we're driving down the hill, I'm thinking, Lord, just get me and carry back to the compound safely. Get me back to America. Get me back home so I can hug and love my kids. Yeah. Haiti can have Haiti. I don't have. I can't. There's nothing I can do about this. This is too ingrained. This is too much. I can't do anything. Yeah. You know, I don't even know why I'm here. It's too much. And we get to the bottom of the hill, and that little boy's standing there. And it's a good mile down the hill. And I have no idea how he got there. But he stood there, and everybody saw him. And he just watched with the blanket around. He just watched us as we drove away. And we just left him again and drove back to the place. And we finally got back to the compound. I took a deep breath. All I could think of was getting on that, eating dinner and getting on the plane the next day and getting out of Dodge, you know. Yeah. And as we're finishing up dinner, another missionary from the compound comes up and says, Hey, everybody, hurry up and get rest, get changed and get cleaned up and stuff because we're going to show the Jesus film in one of the 10 cities. He's all excited. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to do that at all. I'm like, you, went, you didn't see what happened to it. You don't see what just happened. You don't want, you know. And um, so we all got dressed and we all got changed. We got in a big circle to pray. And like I said, I'll be transparent with everybody I ever talked to. And we're in a big circle. And it didn't even cross my mind about praying for anybody's salvation. Other people on the team did, but I was praying about safety. I wanted my wife and myself and the team to get back home safe. Yeah. These tent cities were dangerous places where we've been displaced from the earthquakes, so they're jam-packed in these little shanty towns, um, and you would have rape, murder, assault, kidnapping, robbery, you know, armed robbery, all that stuff was a, a stabbing. It was all-time high. People weren't getting the aid they needed. They weren't getting the food they need. So we load up in the truck, and we pull in the one they'd never even been to before. And we parked the truck, and we had this big inflatable screen that the missionaries had and turned on a generator and started playing the, the Jesus film. I was sitting at the one end, um, and my wife is next to me. And as we're sitting there, there's a bunch of kids in front of us, and there's like a sea of people right behind us. Like you could feel everybody breathing on you because they were right there. And the Jesus film was playing, and my head's on a swivel. You know, I'm looking out for danger. And right then, this little three-year-old hands me a little baby. And... The little three-year-old boy comes around this side of me and grabs onto my shirt, tucks his head in my shoulder, and doesn't even look at me the whole time he's at the film. He just holds on as tight as he can. And the little baby is almost lifeless in my arm because it's just starving to death. Just a T-shirt on, no underpants. You could smell the urine. Tuft red hair, both of them, because they were mal- had malnutrition, starving. Yeah. And this little girl sat down next to me, and she put her hand on my knee and was rubbing my knee and looking up at me and smiling and then watching the movie. And here I am, 300-pound man, looking around from danger and this is where they live and I don't know if you've ever heard God speak to you before but he spoke to me right then 
I said, Barrett, I didn't call you down here to fix things. I didn't come down here for you to change things. I, you know, I called you down here because I knew you'd love my kids like I love them. And everything in my life instantly changed. We went back home. We sold everything we had. And now we're missionaries there. Moved our whole family. It's been almost nine years now. And God gave us a vision for the sports ministry. And it's just been a crazy, incredibly awesome, joyful, sorrowful roller coaster yeah. <laughs> of a ride. There's been tragedy, there's been heartache, there's been frustration, struggles, but then, you know, I, I have friends that are in the Middle East and I hear sometimes they're missionaries and they might not get any fruit for the whole, for years, you know, they might wow. get one person to convert. So God has blessed us with this ministry where every day we get to see these smiling kids and, and hearing them see, sing about Jesus and we get those little wins every day. So the joy is, you know, you have joy one minute and one minute you have tragedy, but we all know who wins in the end, so that's why we keep fighting for it. Why, why did you decide to focus on a sports ministry? What was it about sports that um, attracted you to do it for Haiti? Well, you know, I mean, I mean, I did play sports all my life growing up. I played sports, and I played football in college, and I coached kids sports and stuff. I never really thought of it as being a sports ministry. Um, like I said, I didn't have any idea what a missionary actually does. Right. The mission organization we were with when we moved back there, um, did a lot of construction and a lot of things like that for the earthquake. And they had a contractor with a lot of uh, um, construction skills, a missionary. They had a mechanic missionary, had a lot of skills for that. And um, when we moved back, I just said, you know, listen, let me give me any job that you guys um, needs to be done, but you don't have time for. Right. Right. So they said, can you run a drive a tractor? And I said, yes. I grew up on a farm, you know. Um, I didn't, we didn't own the farm. We just lived on the farm. So I worked for the farmer kind of thing. So I learned how to do stuff, but not how to actually farm, <laughs> you know? So I, so they said, we got to cut the grass because there's 60 acres here. And the reality is, is people light little fires to burn their crops off or burn areas for their house to burn weeds. But the wind blows and it burns the whole, it'll, we could lose the whole compound in a second if it's yeah. not, if the grass isn't cut. And they said, but don't worry about it. It'll take you a week to do it. The first couple of weeks were there, two hurricanes clipped us. <laughs> so it rained, it rained. So I was either cutting grass or we were inside because it was raining. And that grass seemed like it grew like two feet every day. I don't know. So basically I'm here after working 70 hours a week and um, back home and um, coaching sports and volunteering at church and never having a second to myself. Here I am sitting on this big tractor driving around in the middle of nowhere in Haiti cutting grass and about three weeks in one day, I just said, Lord, um, if you brought me to Haiti um, in this amazing way you did uh, for me to cut grass for the rest of my life, I'll cut grass for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but I just have to feel like there's something more. And um, as, as clear as I can see you and talk to you, um, I was cutting the grass. And it's, I don't know if it lasted a second or 20 minutes or how long. But it was like I saw this vision. And all of a sudden, I was up on the top of the hill of the property. And on the bottom, there was a... This just an open area. I saw a whole bunch of kids playing soccer, and they were wearing red and gold jerseys, red and gold top, red top, golden bottoms. And they had, and they were playing. And all of a sudden, they stopped and they went with the coach and they got in a huddle and they started praying, kind of like when you get in a circle and you pray yeah. the Lord's prayer. And then they broke away and they started playing again. And the same, it's just a split second later. I'm holding the garbage bag and I'm holding the hand of a little boy and he's holding the garbage bag. He's got a soccer uniform on. And we're walking around the village, and I can see a whole bunch of other little kids. And um, this old lady comes up and gives me a hug and a kiss and gives a little picks a little boy up and hugs and kiss, and she's got a tear on her eye. And the best way I can explain it is there's a little house there, and it's like 
you ever seen Snow White and the Seven Dwarves cartoon and they're like cleaning all the dishes and they're going all through the house? That's kind of like it was. They were all cleaning everything real quick around the house and stuff like that. And then um, I saw like a, 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 a map of Haiti at nighttime and all these little lights went off all over the place. And I snapped out of it. I pulled the blades up on the tractor and I ran in the house and I was talking so fast and Carrie's like, what, 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 what? And I go, I know what we're supposed to do. And I just wrote it down. And we just do soccer. We do sports. We love kids. We do Bible study. And all the kids do community service. And it's simple. It's real simple. But it's just, like I said, it's simple. But it's God's blessed it. It's just been an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah. You know, I think about also the, I don't know if it's a it's a Proverbs or where in the Bible it is, but it says to write the vision and make it plain. You know what I mean? And it's like you had the vision, it's plain, but it's like you could follow it. You, know? you don't have to do anything else. Yeah. You just have to. So the number one, I mean, my favorite part of the verse in the Bible is when Jesus says love one another. Because even when he says the Pharisees are trying to catch him and they say, Jesus or teacher, what's the most important commandment? And he says, Love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, right? And then all the Pharisees are like, I can do that. I do that. Mm-hmm. It's unprovable. You could tell me you love God with all your heart, all your soul, but nobody can. Nobody knows except for God. Right. But then he says, but love your neighbor like yourself. That's a visible thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, all the deeply religious people that were for themselves and for pious reasons, they weren't loving their neighbors. And then he says, all the commandments and all the rules of, the, of, of uh, Abraham, Moses, um, hinge on this very thing. It, the bottom line is love people. There is no law against loving people. Right. Love solves all, the, all the, uh, the law. So that's what we do is we teach our kids to love. We love and grace, grace, grace. Wow. What are some of the miracles, um, miracles and wonders that you've seen in Haiti in the last 10 years? I, I've seen a lot of miracles a lot of miracles that happened to us, and a lot of it was confidence building for me, I think, because God knew that I needed to know that I knew that I knew that I was supposed to be there. Yeah. I don't really have a, I don't know if, it's, if you would label it as a miracle, but then when I was younger, I thought miracles were like when this Red Sea parted. But it's a very miracle we can breathe. The creation itself is, is a miracle. It's a miracle that I'm actually in Haiti working with kids. The, 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 a lot of the miracles that I see are um, impact mm. because. God knew all this was going to happen beforehand, and he orchestrated it all. You know, mm-hmm. There's a little boy, and my wife was working in this burn clinic. And she calls me up on the phone, and she says, Barrett, there's a little boy here named Kevin's. About 10 years old, but he looks like he's six because malnutrition, right? And he's burnt really badly. But you had gone to one of the schools and done a soccer day, and he remembers you. And all he keeps talking about is how he wants to play in the soccer league. But I don't know if he's going to be able to do that because he's so burnt. I said, okay, well, come over. And I get there, and I see him, and he's laying on the bench, and his mom is sitting sitting next to him. So his back is burnt from the top of his head all the way down to his bottom. His whole back is third-degree burn. And she has a cloth on him because what they do is they put the cloth on him, and they soak it. And then after it gets all wet, they have to scrape the old skin off Mm. so it can reheal good skin. Right, and I know, not personally, but I've seen how painful it is, and I can imagine. So I see him on the thing, and he's got, he's crying. But then, as soon as he sees me walk around the corner, he turns his head, wipes his eyes, and does a brave face for me. He does a what? Brave face, mm. like he's tough, right? 
I walk around the corner and I come over and I give him this little uh, wristband that I had, life the uh, sport disciple wristband. I gave it to him and I prayed for him. I told him he was being brave and he was being strong and he was a tough kid and stuff like that. And I'll hold a spot for him and I can't wait till he's out there. And, and I prayed for him to heal and everything. And then I walked out of there and he's just smiling at his face, you know. And then I walk around the corner, I peek back real quick. And as soon as I broke that corner, he burst into tears and started crying again because it was how much it hurt. Wow. Man, I went around the corner and I cried. Mm. And I was mad. And I'm like, Lord, why am I so upset? I've seen so many tragedies, so many bad things happen. Why am I so upset right now? And then I just smiled and realized it was a blessing because you're not, you don't get calloused. So it's better to have a heart that doesn't get calloused yeah. and have that love. And so every week or every couple of days I'd go and see him and I'd pick him up in an ATV type thing and we'd drive down to the construction for the soccer thing and the construction guys would pray for him and did a big, you know, all this stuff like that. And you know what? When we started, he was playing. He'd come in and he'd play, carried, wrap them again and clean them all up and stuff like that. And then he became one of our best players and just an amazing story. But he came he came one morning to the burn clinic and he wouldn't carry away, said, you ready for soccer? And he'd always be like, yeah, I'm ready for soccer, right? And um, this day he wasn't ready for soccer. He wasn't feeling good. Yeah. And she said, this is why he's healing. And she says, what's wrong? And after she digs and digs and digs, he's too proud because he's so thankful for the soccer, so thankful that they heal, they're taking care of him at the burn clinic. He doesn't want to say. She goes, he goes, well, this is a Tuesday. He had eight since Saturday when we fed him last. Wow. So here he is trying to heal from this burn, and he hadn't eaten since it was Tuesday morning. So we got him food. She got him food and stuff like that. We went found his mom, and they had three other, four other kids at the house, a little tent. They live in a tent. Got some food, so we started feeding the family. And then since we... We built that relationship with Kevin's, and this is why we say it's a relationship ministry. Four months, three or four months later, Kevin's brings this other little boy up to me during soccer practice, and he says, my friend needs help. And I said, what's, what's wrong? What does he need? And I went to put my hand, I go, what do you need? And, you know, I put my hand there, he crossed back. We had him take his shirt off, and his dad had been whipping him with a steel cable that was frayed on the end. And you could see the years of abuse and across his back and everything like that. But we had built so much relationship with trust and with Kevin that he could talk his friend into getting help. Right. So he wouldn't get abused anymore from his dad. Wow. So we took care of that. And But that's why it's all that relationship, you know. You know, when you're a coach, you know, you like you said, you wear many hats. You can yep. be that father, that protector, that mentor, that father. I mean, just everything, yeah. you know. So that's why it's such a beautiful combination. Barrett, if, if there is anything that you could just say to the people um, that are listening, what's what's a word that you can just say to them to to encourage? You know, uh, um, I would say just say yes. You know, you were saying like you didn't want to come over here earlier, mm-hmm. right? I can't tell you how many times in my life where I've been like, man, I don't want to do that. But then you do it and it's just amazing. I mean, like I said, it was my birthday, May 3rd, right? We were back in the States and my, my wife is like, I worked, I worked like 20 days in a row, and the first day off was a half a day. It was my birthday. Wow. So I said, when I get home today, this is before we became missionaries. I go, before I get, when I get home today, I'm going to order some pizza and some, and some movies, and I'm going to sit on the couch for my birthday and eat pizza and eat some peanut M&Ms and watch a movie, 
And then my wife calls me on the phone and says, I signed us up for Feed My Starving Children food pack tonight mm. at 8 o'clock <laughs> for your birthday. And I'm like, oh, really? You know, I don't want to do that. You know, we all get that. Yeah. You know, but some of the most beautiful, amazing times, and that was an amazing thing for me to do, the Feed My Starving Children pack. It's just Satan to come against you. He makes you like, don't do that. You don't need to do that. Don't worry about it. You know, I've even got angry about that I have to go do something. Mm. And then when I, the anger, it seems like the angrier, the hardest it is for me to go do it, the huger of a blessing it is is when I get yeah, there. The more you have to make sure you get you know, there. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and never discount spiritual warfare and spiritual attacks. Yeah. I mean, Satan will cheat, steal, lie, do whatever he can to get you not to do it. Mm. But just do it anyway. You know, feel uncomfortable. You know, like I told you yesterday, pastors told me that, um, you never get the miracles if you're hugging onto the trunk of the tree. You got to get out there on the branches. Mm. You know, so that's powerful. Well, Barry, I want to you know just thank you again, not just for making time to talk to me, but you know for honoring the voice of the Lord and for saying yes. And um, and like you said, that the miracles come in that generational change. You know, and I do believe that. I mean, I'm sure you know this already, but. When you get to 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 the kingdom, you know, when you get to heaven, um, you're gonna receive a lot of those encounters of of these millions of kids coming up to you and saying, "Man, you know, that that you started changed everything," you know. And so I just the wanna, beauty of it is I don't even I don't even uh, I'm not doing it for that. I mean, I'm doing it for myself. I don't want. I mean, yeah. that's great. It's awesome they're there, but I don't need any. I don't want them, you know, to come thank me. Right, but that's the thing, right? Like. And you're you're a humble man, and this is why I'm saying it, right? Because it will happen. Change is happening. You are a vessel. The Lord is using you, right? It's not in your own strength. If it was in your own strength, this wouldn't no, be, would happening, be happening. No. Right? And so we understand that. But the, the truth of the matter is that a lot of people say no. A lot of people shy away. A lot of people are scared and listen to that other voice, you know, of the enemy saying, don't do that. But, you know, and, and also, you know, big props to, to your wife and your family. Because they all moved out there with you, they all came and supported. You know this. This. Oh, my wife is a backbone. She does uh, so much. She's 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 uh, at least she's as much or more of the program than I am. She's she's unbelievable. I mean, let's talk about it because like <laughs> it's real. You know, like mm-hmm. it, and that's the union of of the Lord. So I just want to thank you, man, for for just being obedient to the voice of God and and thank you for inviting us to your home. Well, your wife invited us to her home. That's <laughs> shout out, shout out to Karen. She's really amazing. Um, and uh, just thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for coming. Thank you for. I'm thankful for God um, putting us together, and thank you for your heart for doing the, um, you know, the fasting and, and seeking God and and. Um, See what ha- see, this is the kind of stuff that happens when you do that, you right? Know? Yeah, you know? that's exactly. What and um, who knows where it's going to go? You know, like I said, I'd like to talk to your family if they're interested and get information about sports ministry, and Absolutely. you know, and, and we'd love to see sports ministry around the world grow. You know, it could be here in the states. You know, your mission field doesn't have to be on the place; it can be your neighbor. You know, yeah. You could even go to um, the elderly home and 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 talk to people, and you yep. know, just go love people, go love people. Awesome. Cool, guys. So uh, we'll put all the information below, whether you're tuning in from YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music. Just check the description below and, and we'll put all the information for the ministry uh, down there so that you can contact them. You can see what's going on um, and you can support them if God puts it in your heart. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, like you said, we are on a fast and the fast has 
ended. <laughs> it's 3.28. We have completed 72 hours of water fasting. So I have to go because I am going to go eat. <laughs> Thank you very much. Peace. <laughs> Thank you.